Back in on Canuck Central, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Canuck Central is for Enzyme Pacific, Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Camby and Maine, or at EnzymePacificChrysler.com. CA uh, still to come on the program uh, Yannick Hansen uh, but uh, a lot of uh, discussion on our last segment Riccio getting soft uh, Dan probably wants them to fire Tockett and bring back Bruce <laughs> I wouldn't go that far uh, certainly not the case certainly not the case uh, this text from Peter Tockett's comments are a sign of respect to his team he knows the talents they have and actually honored that talent with his words if he thought he had a poor team his press conference would have been very different Tockett knew precisely what he was doing last night so a lot of thoughts on uh, Rick Tockett going in on his team last night Sat. yeah and I and uh I think a lot of fans understand um, where it's coming from, from the coach, right? And I think he's gained so much credit with how he's handled things and, and the way he's gone about things that I think most people are, are, are more than happy to give him the benefit of doubt for the time being. Uh, that's fair. Uh, so uh, maybe I'm getting ratioed on this one. But uh, if you're just listening for the mailbag, you'll have to go back and listen to the previous segment on your favorite podcast feed, Canuck Central. All right. Hit the music. It's time for the mailbag. <clears throat> Ooh. Lost my voice. You're right there. Almost losing my conviction as uh, as well on my uh, take from Rick Tockett earlier in the show. It's tough when you get ratioed. You know, you're just like you immediately start second guessing yourself. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. You're like, am I, am I wrong here? Maybe. <laughs> or like when you're so, when you're so when you feel so convicted in your take, and you get yeah. ratioed. That's like fuel to fire to me. I was like, great. <laughs> Keep showing you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Uh, all right, we've got uh, Elon with us as uh, the mailbag kicks off here today. Your questions for us, as we do every Friday here on Canucks Central. Whew, a lot to be said about that yep. dreadful power play that's going on for the Canucks. So kick it off, guys. Matthew asks, what can be done to tune up this power play? Oh, oh. Sat, you take it. I, I feel uh, like they're out of answers. Last night they just like... They let everybody get a chance on power play one. No, Rick Tockett turned they... into Oprah for a second. He's like, you get a chance, and you get a chance, and you get a chance. Anybody gets a chance. Somebody do something. Honestly, just just simplify it. Get back to putting the guys in, the, in their normal spots. Get Quinn used to shooting the puck more like he was earlier this season, and just put Lindholm net front and put Besser in the bumper spot and just go. That's no. it. And just shoot the puck a lot. That's all I have. I got nothing else. <laughs> Uh, like I, I see people like, what about put Zadorov net front? What if you try this? What if you try that? It's like that's galaxy brain braining it. Like honestly, and and the more they try, the worse it gets. Just get back to what you're good at and just shoot the puck. It's put, very simple. They, you put Heronik on the power play and he shot the puck even less. Yeah, put, like he was loaded up for one timers. He's like, ah, I don't know, maybe pass it to JT again when he can't shoot it. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Just shoot the puck. Put your five best players on the ice and let them figure it out. You know, um, get JT back into a quarterbacking the power play type of position. Um, maybe switch up who's working on the entries. I don't know what's going on with Pedersen right now, but his entries have not been good enough. And like that, that to me is one of the biggest things. Like they don't get set up well enough. And a lot of it has to do if, if there's an early clear, you know, the, the entries getting back in have been terrible. So it's crushing the power plays opportunity to get 
chances to get shots away because they're not spending enough time in the offensive zone. And as Tockett has mentioned as well uh, today and, and even after last night's game, they, they haven't been doing as well with their retrievals. Like early in the season, if there was a loose puck on a power play, they were getting to it, you know? And they'd spend the entire two minutes, nearly the entire two minutes in the offensive zone, not having to regroup and get back in any of those things. They were just relentless getting those loose pucks, winning those 50-50s, getting the retrievals, cycling it back up to the top of the point. And when you do that, penalty killers get tired. They get out of position. It just creates so much havoc, and they just they haven't been good enough with their retrievals in zone. No, no, they haven't been. And I think uh, that's a big part of big part of their issue as well. Yeah, guys, a lot of the Canucks' success that we've seen this season is because of the consistency of their four lines. Yeah. Right? These past four games, maybe the four lines aren't working. So Josh asks, should Alvin and company focus on making the fourth line a priority rather than chasing after Tanev or another top six piece? Ooh. So uh, I, I kind of want to pat myself on the back a little bit here. Because I mentioned in all of our discussions about Hoaglander moving up the lineup, how, yeah, it can work higher up the lineup, but also you're taking away what's made the fourth line so good and has been such an advantage for this team through some of their best stretches of the season. I get it. Like, Ilya Mikheyev hasn't been playing well enough. Last night he was terrible, and for the most part, he hasn't done anything since, well, December 17th, his last goal. But... Not having Hoaglander down, like Hoaglander was, you know, he was a difference maker on the fourth line. They'd put that out there and they'd win their matchups. They'd create a ton of opportunities. They'd spend off time in the offensive zone. Maybe it's not the solution moving Pedersen or sorry, Hoaglander back down to the fourth line, but it's a solution that they had earlier in the season. That's not quite there right now. Yeah. And I, I get, I get what you're saying. My biggest thing is, I'm not even sure the Canucks are going to be able to add another top six forward. They may be a depth guy that might fight for the top for the bottom six role, but I'm not sure that Hoaglander is going to be is convincing enough to the coaching staff that he's going to be a f- fixture in the top six from now all the way through the playoffs. So that's why I'd say, if you can add a top six player and you get Hoaglander back to being able to move up and down your lineup, have his role on the fourth line, and you can utilize him in different ways, is better than feeling like you have to use him in your top six. You know what I mean? Like, so I'd still look at it as prioritizing getting a top six if you can, and yeah. allow Hoaglander to get back to being effective playing in a bottom six role. What's more surprising, the Leafs winning six in a row or the Canucks losing four in a row? <laughs> uh, I would say the Leafs winning six in a row because uh, six in a row is is pretty good, but. It hasn't really been the uh, exactly a murderer's row of opponents that they've had, but I just find it kind of funny, like with the the whole Morgan Riley thing, and then they go on a six game win streak. Like, what you needed Morgan Riley to blast Ridley Gregg for you guys to figure out how to play defense a little bit? Seems seems Soft. strange. Soft hockey team. <laughs> no, but but all kidding aside, uh, I, I'd say the winning streak for the Leafs still. Like I, I'm not saying I expected the Canucks to lose four in a row, but I never thought it was realistic for them to get through the entire season not having a win- losing streak more than two games. I mean, uh, we, I mean, we laughed about this because yeah. Ian Cole has been saying it since training camp. He's like, good teams don't lose three in a row. And then we're like, I get what he's saying, but in reality, like if you go back the past five or six years, every cup winner's lost at least three, four, or five in a row. Like It happens to every single team. Hey, every, every team single- in the league has lost three in a row row this year and one team is going to win the stanley cup 
Exactly, right? <laughs> so this year, not, there's, there isn't a single team. I think you have to go back like seven years or eight years before you find a team or something that didn't lose three in a row. I'm not even sure you can find it. Like I, I tried to do it the other day, and I couldn't really uh, find it within like the last handful of years. So it's one of those things that... It gets it's, it gets talked about a lot, but I don't think it should be a surprise at all that the Canucks have a three or four game losing streak. They're very normal for every single hockey team in the National Hockey League nowadays. Yeah, and uh, with the context of how many games they've played lately, plus on the road, like everything since the All Star break has been heavy for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, no, t- like there's one team in the league that's played ten games since the All Star break. Guess who it is? It's it's your Vancouver Canucks. So. Yeah. You know, as Talk had even alluded to a little bit last night, like we knew this was going to be a tough stretch for us, but that's not an excuse for us to play as poorly as we did in Seattle. But, you know, the Canucks knew that this was going to be a very difficult stretch for them to come through uh, when they looked at the schedule this season. This one from Hassan from Burnaby. What's it going to take for a Ilya Mikheyev scratch? Oh, I don't think it's going to take much more. Uh, okay. Last over, night felt like the last straw. Okay, over under games before he gets scratched, and I say point five. <laughs> um, if assuming everybody is healthy and able to play tomorrow night, I think Ilya Mikheyev gets the scratch tomorrow. So I really felt that was going to be the case. Yeah, like I really thought, okay, he's going to get scratched, and it still wouldn't surprise me that if he gets scratched on Saturday. But I, but I wonder with, we know the Canucks already had one Milstein client who they traded. Yes. They have another Milstein client who yes. the word came out that they might be looking to trade him already with Zadorov. The team pushed back on that notion. He had the, is there uh, some, he had the mystery illness that kept him out of a game. <laughs> right. Is there some reticence maybe to scratch him too here? And I'm not saying they're afraid of the agent or anything like that, but is it possible they've had conversations and they're trying to get him back on track without having to resort to that right away? So I think there's a chance that that's going on. But so, so I'll say over 0.5 games, but I, if you would have asked me this question before today, I would have said point. Like I've said on the postgame show yesterday, like I, I would be shocked if he doesn't get scratched for uh, the game against in Saturday. So I'll give it one more game, but I think we're we're pretty much there, guys. Like you can't really defend his his play. Like uh, the game against Colorado, he had the bad turnover, right? Which is yeah. like, hey, that led to a goal against. You can't do that. You're not impact the game offensively. He had a bad moment defensively. He's not winning battles. He's he's coming up soft on board battles and four checks, and that's something that you don't usually see from Mikheyev and I wonder myself is he a guy who's playing scared scared of getting hurt again is he in his own head like he looks like he's he's losing track of what makes him a good hockey player yeah and when you get to that stage I don't think you have much of a choice but to sit a guy down talk it last night said uh, there were four or five guys that were no shows you can't just sit on the bench and do nothing is what he said towards the end of his his press conference I like there is no doubt in my mind one of those guys is, is Ilya Mikheyev that he was calling out, right? And we all know it. Tockett knows that we know it because of the way that Mikheyev was given ice time in the third period when he had one yeah. 30-second shift. I, I don't know who the other three or four guys are. We could have some debates obvious. on that. It was fairly <laughs> obvious, maybe. But Mikheyev, with 100% certainty, was one of those guys. He might be high on that list. Remember we were talking the other day about Arshdeep Baines, how he's going to get into the lineup against Colorado, and there was uh, some scuttlebutt that maybe Mikheyev is the guy who gets scratched, and then it was maybe, you know, uh, maybe it's PDG who gets scratched. What I believe happened was the coach told a few guys that night, hey, 
you better be on your toes here. There's no guarantee you play. Baines is playing. One of you guys is coming out. Be prepared to play, but, you know, you guys got to, you, you know, shore up your game here. I wouldn't be surprised if he said something along along those lines, and McCabe was yeah. one of those players. So I don't think they're too far away from that. And then Dets there, uh, Tockett gave McKayev, yeah. uh <laughs> on that play where Zadorov, you know, shoots it up, and McKayev knocks it down, tries to pass it to the middle of the ice. Pedersen gets turned over, then the puck ends up at the back of your net. It's on Zadorov, it's on Pedersen, it's on McKayev. All three of them make, make a complete meal out of it, right? But the stare that uh, you can see Tockett give McKayev as he was skating to the bench, I think it told you everything you need to know. Yeah. This one from Taj. Is the Pedersen situation trending to be Bure 2.0 with how a portion of the fan base has already turned on him? Uh, can't deny that a portion of the fan base has already turned on Elias Pedersen. That that I cannot do because, man, yeah. some of the takes on Twitter today were just bonkers, Sat. Like, I can't even believe people are, are thinking like this. Even if it is, like, just some, you know what? Just sitting behind their keyboard, keyboard warriors with their, you know, the Twitter egg as their as their profile photo or whatever it might be. <laughs> but it's just like, are we really going down this path with some of these takes? This is lunacy. This is not yeah, real. How how do you even think of these takes about Elias Patterson? Well, there is some loony stuff. I think there's fair criticism about his game recently, and and there are fair questions about c certain parts of his game. I think for sure. But you're right; it's about making those big leaps. That's crazy. And Jay, and this kind of fits in what Jay said. He said, "How has a fan base uh, as engaged as this one, who already lived through Bury and who lived through the Sidney era, have such a large portion that's still so critical and so wrong about Pedersen?" Yeah. And I think it's true. But you also have to remember that fans evolve and change over time and Bure was now a very long time we're talking about over 30 years ago now almost right since he was traded so like it's, it's it's been a long time there's a new generation of fans as well so I'm not sure everyone lived through the Bure thing could be uh, feeling the analogy the same way or whatever and maybe yeah. it's just new lessons people have to learn along the way right I, I do think again the main reason for this and maybe I'm doing a little bit of psychoanalysis here, so please, you know, uh, I apologize if, if I'm taking this too wrong. But I do think a lot of it is this guy hasn't committed to signing with us. We're not sure he likes us, so screw him anyways. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like you look for faults, kind of, and you're trying to convince yourself this guy may not be the guy and convince yourself that, hey, maybe he's not worth it anyways. Maybe we're better off trading him. And it's like I think there's a lot of that going on. It was, uh, it was funny. One of them I saw, it was just like this long piece about how – Elias Pettersson is it reminds them of of Kawhi Leonard leaving the Toronto Raptors and I'm like well Kawhi won <laughs> would that be the worst outcome here <laughs> if the Canucks won a cup and Pettersson's like you know what I think I'm gonna sail off into the sunset my career as a Canuck is never getting better than this uh, like people would still be over the moon that they won the Stanley Cup for the first time in 50 plus years I think anyways I just I can't some of the some of the takes were just were too much for me today yeah, this one's from Brendan. What are the expectations for Elias Lindholm? I would like to see an extended look with Petey and Besser, leaving Miller with Suter slash Beans and Hoglander. What are your thoughts on that? I think Lindholm hasn't played as well as he can. I think Lindholm, as I said earlier, is his best stretch is going to Probably be uh, through mid-March when the Canucks are in amidst that nine-game homestand and he can finally get settled a little bit as a new player with this team, getting acclimated to a new city and all those different types of uh, issues that come for a player when they get traded mid-season. 
but I, I still think it's it's probably going to work best him and Elias Pettersson together. Who's their third line mate? I think you're probably going to have to end up uh, rotating through guys. Some nights it'll be Hoaglander. Maybe another night it'll be this person because they're going. Ultimately, that that's what I think happens with, with Elias Lindholm is that he ends up with Pedersen long-term and who the, who the third man in on that line is uh, is going to be up for up for really a hot hand type of approach. Yeah, I mean, so I think the best spot for Lindholm probably is playing with Pedersen. I think it's going to take some time for them to really build some chemistry and figure out how it's going to be. And I'm not sure who the third guy on that line is quite yet. You know, and I think Hogan has done a good job with it. We saw yesterday the coach got away from that too. It's been a couple of games since they looked really good together as a trio. The best game they had together was was the Minnesota game, even maybe parts of the Minnesota game. They, yeah. they played really well together and had some moments. Detroit game they had some moments, but outside of that, it, it really hasn't clicked the way you had hoped. So I'm I'm not sure who the third guy on that line is going to have to be yet, but I do think Lindholm and Pedersen as a duo still can work. You just have to give it a little bit of time still. Um, would you? have Miller, Patterson, and Lindholm on separate lines all playing center. I don't know if you have enough wings to do that effectively. Yeah. Like, or do you have enough high-end wingers for you to be able to do that? And I think I think if you want to look at it as, okay, you go Patterson, you go Besser with Miller, you can put, say, PDG with them, you um, go Patterson with Hoaglander, and let's say Mikheyev. I know people, you know, Mikheyev is yeah. personal non gradable but let's just bear with me for a second. And then you go Lindholm with Joshua and Garland. Yeah. And now you can say you go on the fourth line of uh, Bluger, Suter, and Lafferty. Yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah. It might be spreading too thin, because, again, I don't know who your running mate is with Patterson if you're doing that, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think that's where your issue runs in. I think you're, you're short another impact winger for you to have all three centers playing that way. You could do it, but I don't think you're getting enough. Um, you're getting enough of a push from that second line or the first line, however you want to uh, phrase what line Elias Pedersen is on. Like the, the, this idea that uh, you know Lindholm or Pedersen can't play the wing. I mean, like they're they're talented enough hockey players; they can figure it out. They can play the wing when they need to, <laughs> you know. Uh, and again, once you get in play. Uh, things are changing all the time. You have to be fluid as to whether you're playing F3 or you're playing F1. Uh, at, when the game is is going, um, positions, especially in the forward group, they you know they, they tend to, to switch around quite a bit as you're going through your rotations, and it depends on you know who's forechecking first and and whatnot. So you know, I I just don't really subscribe to this idea that that Lindholm or Pedersen can't figure out how to play on the wing. All right, we're yeah, gonna I think s- they can easily figure it out. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Sat. No worries. Yeah, we're going to switch it up off the Canucks for the last couple of questions here, guys. A couple of fun questions. Basketball, Phil, what would your walk-up song be if you were a major league batter coming up to the plate? Oh, man. <sighs> I'm trying to think about this one. Do you have one, Dan, that you would go with? Uh, I don't <laughs> It's It's pretty basic, but, like, uh, I always like Nelly's Batter Up. Yeah, that's good. You know. That's all right. Yeah. It's not bad. <laughs> Just because he says bad. batter up. I know, it's lame. Batter up. Oh, um, uh, man. Otherwise, it would probably be something from Pearl Jam because that's like, that's just my jam. Yeah. Didn't um, get tickets today. Very disappointed. You, well, you, were you on the wait list? I was on the wait list, yeah. How does everybody find, find themselves on the wait list? I haven't seen anybody that actually <laughs> was able to get tickets. 
It's all waitlisted. Because <laughs> you have to be... Uh, I, this is probably my fault. For as big a Pearl Jam fan that I am, I probably should have been on the 10 Club email where you get the pre-sale. But uh, anyways, now we're going too far uh, down that rabbit hole. All right. So I, I would go with something trendy. I, I would have my walk-up music be like something that's new and fresh. Like I, 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 didn't wanna, I wouldn't wanna, don't want to resort to like the old songs. Like uh, Beyonce's go, like, Texas Hold'em? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> I think I would go Bad Bunny Monaco. Oh, yeah! It's a, I well, love the beat to it. Why do you did Old Town it. Road? Yeah, yeah. This first year. <laughs> yeah. Elon, would you have one? Or would you go? I with? think I would go. Uh, it's kind of a wild card pick, but time is now. John Cena. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like that. Just kind of gets me going. Got it. It's got a good pop off the top. It's good. Uh, I've been meaning to ask you guys this for a while. It's an NBA question. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the 65 game minimum to be eligible for NBA awards like MVP and All NBA? We've already seen. Joel Embiid be disqualified from this. Yeah. It's, uh, I guess my feeling is why would you want to put a hard and fast rule on it? Because I would imagine when people are voting anyways, they would take this into account and say, X players played all 82 versus this guy who played 63. And even though he was great for 63, I don't think he deserves the MVP award. I would just, you know, I, I, I would trust my vote, my, my voting contingent enough to be able to decipher these issues on their own. Yeah. That's kind of what I would say too. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with Dan. It's Make it easy. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's like Kale McCarr last year. You could have made the argument. He, he deserved the Norris, uh, even though he only played 60 games, but you know, yeah, people dock they're, points they're for win, playing 60 games. They're just the best players to play as much as possible. Yes. Right? Yeah. More for the fans. It's it's yeah. more for getting guys to stop taking maintenance days. And it's a regular season award anyways. Mm-hmm. Like, we're talking about, you know, like, what are you doing in the regular season? And if a guy has to sit all these games, and I get why you're doing it, but does it not take away from your overall value a little bit? Yeah, it does. All right, we'll end with this one. If you had to choose one restaurant in Vancouver for your last meal, what are you choosing? Oh, this is a difficult question. One restaurant for my last meal. Somebody's getting great free advertising right now with this question. Oh, man. <laughs> um, might be an unpopular choice. Uh, I would go with Chopinos. All right. All right. That's not bad. That's not bad. I may go with, because I love seafood. I may go with Blue Water. Oh, yeah. Blue Water is yeah. so good. They have to. That's yeah. one of my favorite sushis there. And their uh, seafood meals are just really good. The miso sable fish at... Uh... It's... Yes. <laughs> yes. It's next level. Yeah. And there's very few times when you, like, have a dish that kind of, like, changes your whole perspective on food. I feel like the miso sable fish did. <laughs> it's like I'm a sable fish guy. Now. <laughs> I'm a I'm a miso guy now. Put it I'll put it on everything. Uh, all right. Coming up, Yannick Hansen will join us, our Friday hockey analyst, as we continue here on Canuck Central. Jan Pro, the leaders in commercial cleaning and janitorial. If your workplace demands a clean environment, contact Jan Pro for a free, no obligation quote. Visit janpro.ca. You're listening to Canuck Central.